Guardian Unlimited. Are there questions to the Prime Minister? Peter Bowen. Mr. Speaker, sir. Sadly, before listening my engagements, I must once again ask the whole House to join with me in sending our condolences to the families and friends of the three servicemen killed in Afghanistan and Iraq over the past few days. They were Royal Marine Thomas Curry of the 4-2 Commando, Lance Corporal Matthew Ford of the 4-5 Commando, and Kingsman Alex Green from the 2nd Battalion, the Duke of Lancaster's Regiment. They were all performing vital roles in working towards a safer and more secure world for this country and for the whole of the global community, and we should be very proud of them. Mr. Speaker, sir, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have further such meetings later today. Mr. Speaker, could I be associated with the Prime Minister's opening remarks? On the 30th of November 2005, at the dispatch box, the Prime Minister guaranteed that nobody would wait more than six months for an NHS operation. Each and every month since, that guarantee has proved to be both worthless and bogus. Today, today, official government figures show that there are 15,832 patients waiting more than six months. Why? They don't, as a matter of fact. On the inpatient list, that there are literally a handful of people waiting over six months. That contrasts, let me tell the honourable gentleman. In 1997, there were 300,000 waiting over six months. The fact is there has been a dramatic improvement with the waiting lists, the lowest since records began, 400,000 down since we came to office, and waiting times now an average of seven weeks. I thank him for letting me point that out. Will the uh, Prime Minister join with me in condemning racism and xenophobia in any form, including on the so-called reality television show Big Brother that has prompted 13,000 individual complaints? Does he not agree with me that it is very important that broadcasters need to take great care before they publish any such prejudices to millions of people throughout the country? Well, uh, first of all, let me say to my right humble friend that I have uh, not seen the particular programme in question, therefore can't comment on it. But, of course, I would agree entirely with the principle that he has outlined, which is that we should oppose racism in all its forms. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Royal Marine Thomas Curry. Kingsman Alexander Green and Lance Corporal Matthew Ford. I would also congratulate the Royal Marines on the bravery of their operation to recover Lance Corporal Ford's body. It was a reminder of the incredible professionalism of our armed forces. Last week, the junior Home Office Minister responsible told us that she knew nothing about the fiasco of the foreign criminal records. Now we know she was receiving and signing letters about the issue as long ago as October. Why is she still in her job? Um, the backlog, as indeed the Permanent Secretary indicated in his evidence uh, yesterday, the backlog was not drawn her, to her attention. Absolutely. There is an internal inquiry as to exactly what took place. But let me emphasise yet again, as I explained last week, and I should explain again this week too. Since this has now been gone through by um, the Association of Chief Police Officers and those people at the Home Office, there's no significant public protection issues that have arisen in respect of the Criminal Records Bureau checks so far. It is correct 
that since um, May 2006, when ATCO, ATCO were given responsibility for this, there is now a new system in place. That system is working well, but of course we've had to work through the backlog of cases. But let me emphasize, we are in no different position on this than any other European country. The Prime Minister tries to sell this isn't serious, but we've had someone who went on to kill and a people trafficker who was cleared to work with children. The Prime Minister's defence seems to be that the Minister knew about the problem, but not about the backlog. But the problem was the backlog. Don't you want Ministers who are going to ask some questions and show some judgement, rather than just operate like giant franking machines signing letters? Now look, the Prime Minister could clear a lot of this up if he published the letter that the Association of Chief Police Officers sent to the Home Office. Why doesn't he publish the letter? It's probably in his file right there. Go on and publish it. First of all, let me just point out, if the, the case to which he's referring to is the case that was in the newspapers at the weekend, my understanding is this particular individual, in fact, was on the police national computer. Secondly, let me just point out to him, it simply is not correct to say um, that the problem was the backlog alone. The problem was that there was no proper system and hadn't ever been a proper system for the exchange of for the exchange of information between European countries, that has now changed. Indeed, I can tell the House that in addition to that, there is a proposal from Germany, France, Spain and other countries now to connect databases across Europe. We will look very carefully at that, but it is simply not right to say that this was a problem that we had and no other country had. Every country had it. We have now introduced a new system, and I may say yet again with this issue, as with many others, Prior to 1999, there were absolutely no records kept at all. The Prime Minister likes to tell us that he believes in freedom of information. So I ask him again, publishing the letter wouldn't harm national security or confidentiality, so publish the letter. Why not? There is an inquiry underway, and when the inquiry completes, and when the inquiry completes its investigation, everything will be published fully so that people can see it. Let me, however, once again repeat to him, this is not an issue where prior to May 2006 there should have been a proper system in place in Britain because there was no proper system in place across Europe. We then introduced a proper system now for the very first time and that means, as with many of the other issues, for the first time data is being properly collected and acted upon. So much for freedom of information. Let me, ask him about, let me ask him about the inquiry. Will he confirm that the inquiry will look at the role played by ministers, including the Home Secretary? Of course it will look at the role played by ministers. It will look at the role played by everybody. But I simply point, I simply point out to him the evidence that was given by the Permanent Secretary yesterday. Clear. This inquiry is being carried out by the head of personnel at the Home Office. If this scandal had happened in a care home, in a hospital, or in any business in this country, do you think you'd ask the head of personnel to conduct the inquiry? This comes at the end of the week in which two more murderers have walked out of an open prison. The immigration staff at Heathrow say they can't cope and potential terrorists walk free from house arrest and nothing is done. And the government's response is to things that go wrong is to put junior officials in charge of an inquiry. Doesn't it show that this government and these ministers are interested in protecting themselves and not in protecting the public? Let me tell him, since he, since he mentioned, since he mentioned, since, since he mentioned control orders and terrorism, let me just remind them, it was the desire of this side of the House to detain people. Yeah.
we were the government that introduced legislation toughening up the laws on terrorism that he and his colleagues voted against. So the one group of people we will not take lessons on on control orders or action on terrorism is him and his colleagues. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I have a constituent whose life expectancy is no more than four months. He's asked me to pass on his experience that first people in this situation, especially under chemotherapy, do not get the full support from the benefit system that they need. And second, that he fully supports the government's effort to merge databases within the government so that others do not have to go through the multiple form filling that he has had to go through. Will he ask the DWP to take account of both points? Well, I'm sure I know that um, there has been a meeting um, with with the uh, relevant minister, and I also think it's very important that we look at the support we give to people in, in this situation. And I'm grateful, obviously, for the support in in relation to the sharing of information. But it is important we make sure that the appropriate help is given. Um, And that can sometimes be through the benefit system rather than specific allowances, in this case, that that are really directed towards those who are pensioners. Sir Mingus Campbell. Once again, I join the Prime Minister in his expressions of sympathy and condolence for those who have lost their lives in the service of their country. Yesterday, the government appeared before the OECD in order to explain its decision to drop the investigations into allegations of corruption in relation to arms sales to Saudi Arabia. When will the Prime Minister publish and make public the government's submissions to the OECD so that the British public can judge for themselves? They can already judge for themselves because we've made it clear the reasons why. Um, My advice, certainly, was that this investigation would do enormous damage to our relationship with Saudi Arabia. And I said that because I believed then and believe now it would do enormous damage to our cooperation on terrorism, to issues to do with security, the broader Middle East, quite apart from the thousands of jobs that would have been lost as a result of the loss of the particular contract, although that was not the reason the decision was taken. I believe that that was right then, and I believe it, was, it is right now. And sometimes in government, I have to give that advice and take the responsibility for acting in the government um, in, the, in the interest of the country as a whole, and the government has to put those views forward. I put them forward then, I believe them to be right then, and I believe them to be right now. But can we now, as a result of that answer, expect that the other current investigations into allegations of corruption in arms sales, as, for example, in relation to Tanzania, will also be dropped in the same way. And how can the government's handling of this squalid affair be in any way squared with the Prime Minister's promise that his government would be whiter than white? I mean, to be frank, I would have greater respect for the opinion put forward by the Right Honourable Gentleman if he was prepared to accept that irrespective of the damage to our relationship with Saudi Arabia, this investigation should nonetheless proceed. But when he attempts to say that somehow he could have it both ways, that really there wouldn't be that damage, but that the investigation should nonetheless proceed, he simply indicates once again what the problem with the Liberal Democrats is, which is that they are an object lesson in the absence of leadership. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last Thursday, following months of refusing to discuss future plans with either the trade unions, the local politicians, or most importantly the workforce, the NCR in Dundee announced 650 job losses. 
We did so in the most callous fashion imaginable, assembling the 800 manufacturing staff in a room with a large screen TV from which the chief executive announced via video link from America that 650 of them were being made redundant. Would the Prime Minister join me in reassuring the people of Dundee that we'll do everything we can to help them, and will he meet me to discuss how we can reassure the people of Dundee of the Government's commitment to full employment and high-quality jobs, including the 700 NCR jobs which remain in Dundee? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, first of all, can, can I say to uh, my honourable friend that, that I sympathise fully with those that uh, will lose their jobs as a result of the decision by the company. Um, I know also that the Scottish Executive Partnership for Continuing Employment has stepped in in order to try and make sure um, that other work is, is made available for those that are sadly going to be made redundant. It's also important that we safeguard the company's position in other parts of Scotland as well. And I'm certainly very happy to meet with him and discuss what we can do. Um, over the past few years, as a result of the, the different measures taken by the government on a UK-wide basis, but also the Scottish Executive, we now have actually very good schemes that go into effect immediately when redundancies are announced and often help people to get alternative employment. But I think it's very important that we we try to make sure that this operates in the particular circumstances he's drawn attention to. Andrew Pilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would the uh, Prime Minister concede that an unintended consequence of the government's policy in the Middle East has been to advance the interests of the Shiites uh, at the expense of the Sunnis? No, unsurprisingly, I don't accept that. Uh, I think the most important thing that, that we have done is set a principle which the Iraqi people by voting in the election demonstrated and by voting for a non-sectarian government demonstrated, which is that the vast majority of people would prefer to live in peace, whatever their religious or ethnic background. And let me just say one thing to him, because I raised this issue particularly uh, when I was visiting British troops um, before Christmas in Basra. And their view, because they're conducting this operation in Basra, which I'm pleased to say is going well and is successful, their view is very, very clear that those who are creating the trouble are a minority of people and that the vast majority of people, whether they're Shia or Sunni, want to live in peace together. I had a conversation with the Vice President of Iraq just the other day, who himself is the, one of the main leaders of the Sunni community, and he made the same point to me. And we should never fall um, for this propaganda, really, of the extremists that somehow the majority want what they offer. Actually, the majority of people, whatever part of the world they're in, prefer to, to have the chance to live in peace and prosperity, raise their families, and look, look to their neighbours of whatever race and whatever background with some semblance of decency. Paul Flynn. Uh, Mohamed Daoud, uh, the provincial governor of Helmand province, was principally responsible for the ceasefire in Monte Carlo that brought peace to that area and has saved lives. He was singled out by the Defence Secretary as being, unlike other provincial governors, a man of integrity who certainly wasn't corrupt. Last month, he was sacked. Will the Prime Minister make representations for his reinstatement? I have to say to my honourable friend that his successor is also sharing exactly the same um, strategy for the Helmand province. And I just want to pick up on, on one implication of what he said. What the British troops are doing down um, in Helmand province is quite remarkable. And we tragically, again, um, had to remember those that have fallen in the service of their country. But they fell fighting the Taliban, a fight that is having huge success down in the south of that country. And every time they're able to inflict 
these losses on the Taliban. We are then able to move in reconstruction and redevelopment. And I have to say that the new governor of the province is helping very much with that. And so I think that despite all the challenges and difficulties, there are signs of real optimism for what we are doing down in Afghanistan. And again, the alternative was seen very clearly a few months back when the Taliban took a teacher out in front of their class and executed them for teaching girls in school. Those are the two um, alternative futures for that country, and I know which side we should be on. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yesterday, it emerged that the Department for Education have issued guidance that's going to make it more difficult for head teachers to enforce school uniform policies. Now, I know the Prime Minister and I agree about the importance of school freedom and the importance of professional responsibility. So, one simple question, one simple answer. Will he scrap this unnecessary and wrong piece of central guidance? He probably hasn't seen the, the letter already issued from the Minister of State of the Department of Education making it absolutely clear that we support fully the right of schools to enforce their school uniform rules. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Is my right honourable friend aware that in spite of only having entered their second term since opening, the two new city academies in my constituency, St Mark's and Harris Merton, will be oversubscribed next year because such is the support of local parents and community. Would he join me in congratulating the parents, the teachers and the staff at that school and their enlightened sponsors, the Church of England and Lord Harris of Peckham? I certainly uh, I, I will be delighted to um, join in both the congratulations to the school and the sponsors that have put so much hard work into the City Academy programme. And just in light of uh, some of the uh, publicity about the new school building programme, Building Schools for the Future, since 1997 there have been 800 new schools built around the country. And those new or completely refurbished schools have made an enormous difference to what is happening in our country. They go along with over 1,600 new science labs, over 4,000 schools that are better classrooms, hundreds of new uh, sports halls, and thousands of new computers and electronic whiteboards. And the fact is, as the results show, there is a revolution going on in our schools at the moment, of which the City Academy program is an important part, delivering quality education to some of the poorest kids in our country. I echo the tribute the Prime Minister has been paying today to British troops. And I was delighted to hear on Friday of his support for a substantial increase in defence spending. Has he ensured that the Chancellor of the Exchequer agrees with him? It is the Chancellor of the Exchequer who announced the extra defence spending a few years back in the Comprehensive Spending Review that meant that after years, in the ten years before we came to office, there was a cut of something like a third in defence spending. For the first time over the past few years, defence spending has been rising. And indeed, just to point this out, and I'm grateful again for the opportunity of doing so, that if we add in the additional sums of money for Iraq and Afghanistan, we have been holding defence spending constant as a proportion of our national income, a vastly growing economy, of course, and that compares with a cut again of about a third in the years before we came to power. So I agree, we have to do, I, I agree we have to do far more, but thank goodness our record is a lot better than the previous government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. 
Speaker, um, earlier this week the leader of the Scottish National Party indicated that the forthcoming Scottish Parliament elections would be a vote for a referendum on independence. Given that not one single constituent has ever contacted me to request such a referendum, does he agree with me that the people of Scotland have much more serious issues that they wish this government to deal with? Well, I think my, my own friend, of course, is, is right in saying that the issues to do with, with crime and health and education and the state of the economy, of course, are immensely important issues for, for people in, in Scotland who will be voting in the upcoming elections. But the point is, as she rightly says, that the Scottish National Party have put on the agenda now their, their desire for independence for Scotland and a referendum to achieve that. And not merely would that have a disastrous effect on the Scottish economy, but it would waste the enormous benefit that the Union has brought to England and Scotland over the past few years. And the modern way forward, surely, for a country like ours, is devolution with the Scottish Parliament to deal with those issues that should be dealt with solely in Scotland, and then a UK-wide situation where we can deal with the issues to do with the economy and security and defence and so on that we need to deal with together. And that is why it is so important that we reject the option of independence. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Following the television interview with the Prime Minister's former spin doctor, Lance Price, yesterday, will the Prime Minister confirm that he has not called the Chancellor of the Exchequer psychologically flawed? <laughs> I certainly do confirm that, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me? Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating police in Burnley for their recent success in reducing crime, which is down 6% in Lancashire as a whole just last year? Does he think perhaps this is in any way due to the increase in police numbers, 336, up since 1997 in Lancashire? And will he personally today guarantee not to jeopardise this investment through unfunded and irresponsible tax cuts in the future? Well, I can, I can assure my honourable friend we will, we will keep the uh, investment in our, our, our police services going. And the, the work that's been done in Lancashire is quite remarkable. They've had a, an excellent record over the past few years. And it's worth just pointing out in all the criticism of the Home Office that crime, of course, has fallen, not risen, in the past 10 years. And that's in contradiction of the Conservative record, which was to double crime. And actually, in the previous few years before we came to office, cut the numbers of police. So we have record numbers of police officers. We have police and community support officers as well. And we have crime falling. Mate Penning. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. If the Prime Minister was lucky enough to come to Hemel Hempstead, he'd see a community, community rebuilding after the terrible Bunsville explosions that took place a year ago. He'd also have the opportunity to visit the Hemel Hempstead Hospital, general hospital with all acute facilities that treated all of the injured people that were there. There was huge investment in the hospital before this government came to power, and to be fair, there's been investment since. However, however, that investment is being thrown down the drain because the award-winning birthing unit is being closed, or has already been closed, the cardiac unit is being closed, the A&E is being closed, the intensive care unit is being closed, and I could go on. Actually, the whole hospital is being closed, even though... Oh, order. 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 Prime Minister. As I'm sure he would, he would be the first to, to accept, what is happening is the desire to, to centralise... 
to centralise the specialist services at Watford, and as a result of that, there will be far better specialist care for patients. Now, the very reason why this plan that he is describing has been put forward by local clinicians is precisely because they believe it will help provide better specialist services for people. But he is, however, right to say there's been a massive additional investment in his area. And that's why there's increased nurses, increased doctors and falling waiting times. Andrew Slaughter. Uh, I feel sure my right honourable friend would like to join me in congratulating Phoenix High School in my constituency, which was named last week as the most improved secondary school in England. However... Is he, is he aware that Tory councillors in Hamilton and Fulham, oh, who continually call for Phoenix to close, are now seeking to close the much-improving Hurlingham and Chelsea school? Can he do anything to stop this? Well, of course, these decisions are taken uh, locally, but I'm sure the very strong uh, campaign that's been launched by my honourable friend will have its impact, because where schools are improving dramatically, we want to keep them improving. Henry Bellingham. Is the Prime Minister aware that the new Norfolk and Norwich PCT started operations with a £50 million deficit, resulting in McQueen's Hospital in my constituency having to actively delay routine operations for 200 patients? What does he say to those constituents of mine who are waiting in pain, and in particular for Mr Ben Malarkey of Dursingham, who had to pay to have his hip replacement done in France? Is this what he meant by 24 hours to save the NHS? Yeah. First of all, I do understand the difficulties that have been caused in the Honourable Gentleman's area as the, the particular trust comes back into financial balance. However, it is worth just pointing out that at the same time as the, the trust is facing these financial difficulties, over the past few years, for example, in his local area, the number of people waiting for more than 26 weeks for inpatient treatment has fallen from 31,000 to 16. Right? Only one patient, only one in the whole of his strategic health authority is waiting more than 13 weeks for a first outpatient appointment, and there has been dramatic improvement both in cancer and cardiac care. So I understand the problems that are being faced as the trust comes back into financial balance. But let us be clear, once that happens, then we are able to use the additional capacity that we provided and bring those waiting times down further. And our desire is to get to at the end of 2008 with an 18-week in and outpatient waiting combined, and that would be a dramatic improvement. The educational improvements that the Prime Minister has referred to has led Britain to increase its position in the international education league tables. But we still languish at number 18 in the OECD league tables for skills. What does the Prime Minister plan to do in, to improve the skill level of youngsters in this country? Well, I think that the two things that will be important, uh, because my uh, honourable friend is absolutely right in what she's saying, the two things that will be important is, first of all, the additional investment in skills, uh, which will run into hundreds of millions of pounds in the next few years. But also, as we move to the, the new system of vocational education, which will allow a far better choice for youngsters at the age of 14 to opt for a high-quality vocational stream of education. And that's really what we need to do. We have focused very much on lifting academic standards. There's been considerable success there, and there's lots more to do. We now need to have the same focus on vocational education, and the combination of the money and the reform over the next few years should deliver those results. Danny Alexander. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Prime Minister will be aware of the hugely successful launch of Highland 2007 in Inverness on Friday, which demonstrated the renewed confidence and optimism in the region. In the year that we celebrate the culture, heritage and future of the Highlands, will the Prime Minister ensure that his government pursues policies that not only help to tackle the particular disadvantages faced by Britain's most dispersed and remote region, but also promotes awareness of the contribution that the Highlands have made to the UK over the years? Well, I, I agree with them entirely, actually, because I think the Highlands have made an enormous contribution to the whole of the United Kingdom. And one of the reasons why we, we have special help and provision, um, and we organise this uh, uh, in a way that allows the whole of the UK to support the Highlands, is recognising that people are a, it's a far more sparsely populated area, and that therefore we need particular help for local services. And I can assure him we will continue the investment to make sure that the Highlands carries on playing the vital role it does in the, in the future of Scotland, but also of the whole of the UK. Martin Linton. Is the uh, Prime Minister as appalled as I am by the decision of Conservative councillors in Wandsworth to, to close Battersea Arts Centre and to try to blame government grants, even though, even though Wandsworth is in no danger of being capped, has the lowest council tax in the country, has... has huge reserves and gets excellent value for his £100,000 grant to Battersea Arts Centre, having just given... Having order, oh, order, order, order. <laughs> Prime Minister. Um, well, I, I agree with them. The Battersea Arts Centre does a fantastic job and they should do everything they can to keep it open. They should keep it open. Mr Speaker, the um, Prime Minister and his government are about to abolish the right to elect jury trial in serious fraud cases. Will he retain the right to jury trial for political corruption, such as the selling of honours? Um, well, the proposals that we have simply relate to the fraud trials and the way that we have described. But I hope that he would, I doubt that the Scottish National Party will support those proposals, but they should, because they will free up, they will free up, well, let me... Let me tell them exactly why. It will free up money that we desperately need to make sure that we have both the police and the criminal justice system that allows criminals to be caught and punished. Will, will the Prime Minister ensure that the government continues to support a viable network of post offices and ensure that the post office card account on which so many pensions depend has a successor? Yes, well, that's precisely the reason why my right honourable friend um, said that the government has decided it will continue with a new account after 2010. And that is in addition to the £2 billion of extra support for post officers, particularly rural post officers. Now, we all know the reasons why post officers uh, face a great deal of, of challenge and difficulty at the moment because of the changing way that people are handling their accounts. But I can assure my honourable friend we are doing everything we can to make sure we preserve as many of them as possible, that we make the investment and that we keep the account going. Robert Walter. Speaker, a few minutes ago in answer to a question from my right honourable friend, uh, the Leader of the Opposition, about criminal records exchange, the Prime Minister said that prior to 2006 there was no system across Europe for the exchange of criminal records. Can the Prime Minister explain why in 2001 the Government negotiated a protocol to the 1959 Council of Europe uh, Convention on Exchange of Records, but has not ratified that protocol 
nor implemented it. So before 2006, it would have been possible to exchange those records. He is completely mistaken about that. The fact is there was no proper system prior to 2005 and the decision of the European Council. And if I may just point this out to him, it was only because we were able to work with other European partners that we managed to get agreement to implement a new system. That new system is in place and for the first time we actually have proper records that we can implement properly and make sure we monitor properly. And that is the change that has been brought about in the last year. Guardian Unlimited.